Hello, stylish folk, and welcome to this week's episode of Handcut Radio. I'm joined this week by Gianluca Migliorotti of Pomella Napoli, a Neapolitan bespoke trouser maker with a cult following in the UK and the US. He's also a filmmaker, a petrol head, and an ambassador for Italian style. We discuss his childhood growing up in Neapolitan tailoring culture, how he came to establish Pomella, produce a series of documentaries about Italian craftsmen, and we get his thoughts on the state of design and menswear today too. So, without further ado, let's crack on. Gianluca, you are our first Italian guest. Um, wow. I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> no, you, are, yeah, you, are, you, are, you are the first Italian on Handcut Radio. Yeah. Thank you for joining us and for being here. Um, we are, we're a, we're, we're, we've, we've taken an hour out of your trunk show schedule at Mark's Club, uh, the wonderful Mark's Club in Mayfair, to have a bit of a chat. And I've been really looking forward to meeting you, because we've not met before, and talking uh, about various interesting things. Um, of course, you are you are Italian, but you are also Neapolitan by yeah. birth, a proud Neapolitan. Yeah, um, which I guess means you grew up in a culture of tailoring. Mm-hmm. Um, am I right in thinking you you were having your clothes made from a young age and kind of engaging with tailoring uh, from quite early on? Yeah, not not too early because it's, that, that's not. Uh, I mean, ethically, it's not it's not good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was born in Naples and I grew up in Naples until the age of 14. But uh, every year, I mean, I, I'm go, I mean, we have a steel house there and uh, I never stopped going to Naples or to Capri or whatever. And uh, my relationship with tailoring actually is because uh, my grandfather and my father, my uncle, they have been all very passionate about tailoring, but not passionate in a contemporary way. They go, in more in a natural way, but for them it was a completely so natural to go to the tailor for bespoke suits and and um, shirting that uh you know they were just bringing the guy in the, in the house that was me five five years old just to play around with cloths and to check with me like a, my taste or you know just you know to get engaged in that thing and eventually I became even more passionate than these guys in a contemporary way. <laughs> so right, right. I'm very passionate about that. I'm very serious about that. So in the family, no one is a tailor. They are uh, professionals, like my father is a lawyer, for instance. But I mean, for him, I think that since the age of 13, he has never worn anything that uh, wasn't bespoke. Right. He, he claims that uh, it's because of the, his body shape. But I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's more, you know. But also, I guess, you know, N- Naples, um, uh, I'm sure many people on Savile Row will hate me for saying this. You know, the, the, Naples kind of is it's one of the tailoring capitals, if not the tailoring capital in the world, right? You know, in the, the terms of, uh, you know, we, we are very lucky in the UK to have an institution like Savile Row. But it, Savile Row is, is much less accessible for most men than Neapolitan tailoring. I think, you know, that idea of the tiny little Neapolitan workshop and having your family tailor is a very kind of Neapolitan it's a, thing. It's a less exclusive kind of thing. Mm. So the Savile Row, I think, is, uh, it, it is a capital of tailoring for sure. And, uh, but, but it's more, uh, it's not like a, you have a, uh, I don't know, a party or a celebration and you go to the tailor for that kind of celebration. It has to be a big day if you, and you go to the tailor in Savile Row. In Naples, it's not like that. Like, uh, you need a, a good suit because you need a good suit. In the past, for the church, for whatever, for, I don't know, wedding, for any celebration, you would have one good suit. Okay, of course you go to the tailor. Then one, two, three suits, maybe five, you know. 
And so you have like a cheaper theaters, you have better theaters, you have the big houses, you know, you have everything, you know. So in that sense, I think it's the Mediterranean capital of, of, of tailoring. Anyway, I mean, I cannot mention any other capital of tailoring beside no. these two. These are the two, I think. And these are the biggest influences for the market in general or globally. I mean, like I, uh, when you talk about suits, you say the Neapolitan shoulder or the, or the British shoulder, right? This is the thing. These are the two main things. I mean, yeah. with all the respect you do to the, to the Parisian, but uh, come on. You know, there is no Parisian tailoring. In a sense. It's a smaller scene, for sure. Um, so I'm fascinated to kind of learn a bit more about how you fell in love with clothes then. You've grown up in one of the, the tailoring capitals of the world for till you were 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Your father's always having his things made yeah. and enjoying it. When did you fall in love with clothes? Uh, earlier. <laughs> I was like probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. Like I was just like uh, attracted by clothes in general. Like, I, I, I always thought that it was a nice thing to do, like, uh, to, you know, mix things up and uh, looking for a certain look. And then, eventually, because of my father, that was very strict on certain stuff, he he always told me that quality is very important about uh, clothing. So he was always checking my clothes, like, uh, in terms of uh, fabrics. And he was always, like, complaining and, like, insulting me. You know, like, a kind of, a, yeah, yeah, like, a, oh, what, what did you buy? I mean, yeah, he looks kind of nice, but, a, come on, this is, like, this guy. I would never, never wear this. You know, something like that. And also with my mother, it was always, like, a questioning the clothes. Because in fashion, clothes are so-and-so, you know, quality-wise. They cannot afford the quality of tailoring. Uh, usually, the biggest brand, like, uh, I know that Chanel, for instance, I think that uh, they buy a lot from Fox, for instance. So there, there is quality, but the average ones, forget about it. Mm. Like I, I bought in the past just to try a lot of stuff, even Dolce Gabbana, for instance. I mean, the quality is like a horrible. It's like so far from the tailoring we are accustomed to, you know? It, so, it's so interesting that you say that. That's something that's come up a couple of times in this series is, is the kind of, not with all, but with some designer brands, I think there is, a, there is a, a disjunct between the kind of the dream of the clothes in the window that you connect with and how they actually feel and wear on the body. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But now yeah. that leads us in quite nicely to one of the first sort of things to talk about with you, which mm. is uh, you are, of course, founded Pomela Napoli. Yeah. Um, and you make the most beautiful, very kind of, um, how do I put it? You know, you make beautiful bespoke trousers that have a really, really high level of handwork. They have a beautiful silhouette. You play with lots of interesting features in all your different designs. Uh, talk me through how Palmella Napoli came to be. You've grown up with clothing. You've, you've clearly got into kind of the, the experience of tailoring and, and choosing cloths at a young age. Yeah. Well, the... the Okay, it's always been a passion for me. My kind of a, one of my languages, okay? The, the clothing, tailoring in general. So after, we've been talking about doing something as a business uh, properly though, not just as a business. Because a business sounds like, a, okay, you want to make a lot of money out of a passion, but it's not about that. It's more like a, doing uh, a proper business with passion. With, a, with knowledge and with a conscience. So we've been talking with about this with Chiro Dizolfi, my tailor, since I was like probably 20, I don't know, five or something like that. And uh, 
And we were probably the first ones talking about doing like a in Italy, like a trunk show and stuff like that. Because at, at, at that time, there was no trunk show and stuff like that. But we, we never did because uh, I was always traveling. I was living in the States at the moment. Then I went back and I was uh, doing my career in filming and all this stuff. So we, we skipped that thing. So eventually I decided to make a few films about tailoring and about Naples too. And uh, everyone was talking about that, like I t asking me, why you are not in the business? Why you don't do your own thing? You know better than many other in the business about clothing, about, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, what do you call this? Uh, the um, details of this uh, craft, which I cannot say it's not true. I mean, it, honestly, it's one of those things that I don't even need to think about. It's, it's, I just think about it. You know, I just, it's just there. If you know you're I mean? into it, you're into it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so uh, we were talking about uh, doing something with um, some other people. The idea came out because of the trouser, because I think business-wise it was wiser just to go with trousers because it was a new market. And uh, there was uh, someone that uh, already started exclusively, exclusively with trousers, and uh, there was no, not much competition in that field. Trousers has always been like a kind of a pain for me because uh, I never really got the, the right one. Because, you know, if you work directly with a trouser maker, it's one thing. If you work with a tailor, it will work with the trouser maker. Yeah. So there is a passage that you have to, you know, that filter that you have to move. So I decided, okay, let, let's start this. And uh, uh, I got introduced to, to Lino, my, my, my partner, Lino Pomella, that uh, super experienced trouser maker, family of trouser makers, 50 years that they make trousers. And uh, we tried uh, the trousers. I got. I mean, I was like astonished. I was like, "Wow, this guy is amazing." He has been a trainer ten years at uh, at the Rubinacci too. So you know, I mean, he's got it. Well, you know, it's like a, it's not a, a whatever school, you know. And uh, he liked the idea to do something on on his own. So we started, and that that's where we are. You know, amazing. Yeah, we're traveling and stuff. It's very different from from what he was doing. It was uh, steadily in Naples. Now it's travel. We're traveling the world all the time. You know. Do you have Do you have a house style? Do you have a yeah. particular model that you recommend to customers? What What is a, the the ideal pomela trouser? The ideal pomela trousers is it's a uh, one pleat, for instance, because uh, we like pleats in general. Today I'm wearing two pleats. Because, man uh, after my own heart. Was that a man after my own heart? Love uh, love pleats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. To me, when 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 a customer comes in and wants the flat front. I mean, I try always to, to change his mind because I think that uh, in tailoring the pleats, I mean, it's, it's precious, it's beautiful, and uh, it also express the, expresses better the, the craft. You got to be good at making the pleats, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, it doesn't open, and you know, there is a certain flair also. So, yeah, one pleat because it's more contemporary, it's more like a versatile. Mm -hmm. You can be in a, in a suit, you can be formal, you can be also casual, you can also wear. You know, one pleat, pleat trousers, gray one pleat trousers with a with a t-shirt, no problem. Yeah, I have customers that actually they, that's the way they, they 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 dress. So and they look fantastic. And you know, when you have a a proper pair of trousers and a an nice shirt, now it sounds bad to a lot of people, but you're already dressed. You are not in a contemporary world. The jacket is your choice. But honestly, if you you know show up at the dinner. With a proper shirt, with a beautiful pair of trousers, I'd say, man. I mean, what, what do you need? You know what I mean? Like, uh, 
unless it's a you know uh, they I mean formally they ask for the jacket you know but I mean so yeah it's one pleat it's a, a fair fairly high waist but not super high uh, it's American pocket usually which is slanted mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it depends if it's formal or not the, the fabric but we like uh, one pocket in the back two if it's casual but some people they, they prefer also the formal one the two. Uh, relatively tapered legs as well I think Relative, I might say. yeah but not too taper right that is not, that is not elegant that to me I mean when it's too tapered that is actually the tendency for a lot of tailors in Naples to make like a, this kind of a you know uh, that makes you look like uh, the, the 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 genius of the lamp you know like yeah <laughs> yeah coming out of the but but that thing is a uh, it's terrible especially when you wake up uh, I mean when you when you stand up from a sitting position and they are like a Sitting on your on, on your leg, I mean that terrible the, 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 those things. I mean, I mean there, there is no aplomb. There is no. I mean it's just it's not proper. That's it. You know, it's not proper. But they make even shorter jackets and the tight jacket. I mean you don't want that. No, a gentleman needs to move. You know, just to be relaxed. You know, you've got to be comfortable in your clothes. Comfortable, you? comfortable all the time. Yeah, all um, the time. I really struggle with tapered trousers. I've got quite again weirdly. This has already come up on this series. I've got quite big legs, and I mm. struggle to find ready-to-wear trousers that fit um, because of this trend towards very narrow tapered trousers. So you gotta go bespoke, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so things are going really well for Pomela, which is exciting. You're busy. You've got a lot of traction in the states at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're coming to London lots, which is why we're chatting. Yeah. Um, how, how long have uh, when did you when did you kind of take on Pomela and, and decide to build a business? I've I've lost my timeline. It's uh, it's just two, two years ago. Is it that is it it's, that recent? Yeah, and I, I say proudly because uh, in just two years, less than two years ago, actually the brand it was registered like uh, one year and a half ago. Uh, in, in this short time, we did a great job. And I'm very proud of that. So, how, yeah. what, what's the secret of your success? How have you how have you kind of got this brand out there so so brilliantly in like eighteen months? <laughs> a good good product for sure, like a consistency, and uh, of course, I mean the marketing is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant. Um, let's 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 segue a little bit then. Let's talk more about. Um, how you are immersed in kind of sartorial culture because as you've already mentioned you you are uh, as well as um founding a, a bespoke trouser maker you're also a filmmaker and i think you studied film originally yeah. as a student is that right yeah i started uh film at nyu in new york and then i started also acting for more <laughs> years actually uh also in new york at least Strasbourg. Because I read an article, uh, an interview of uh, Steven Spielberg that was actually claiming that uh, the only thing that uh, he regrets is not starting acting. So he feels that he doesn't understand the psychology of the actors. I was like, wow, this guy. I mean, (laughs) this is great. Steven Spielberg, can you believe? I mean, he's so humble probably, this guy, you know. And uh, so I said, okay, okay, I will go two, three months to study acting. I end up like this thing two years and a half at least Strasbourg. So then um, I decided to do both, you know, to try to act a little bit. But uh, that's, that is a really a struggle. You know, acting is a little too painful for me. But uh, sometimes I do. I mean, I will do a short, like, um, uh, in the next three weeks, I will do a, a short as, a, as an actor. But um, I started shooting uh, documentaries. That's the, you know, my form, let's say, of um, my language, okay? 
And uh, also, because the budgets are, you know, less important. And uh, I love stories. I love to tell stories. I mean, I, when, I, when I'm excited about a story, I, I need to, you know, tell you. Share it. What, yeah, yeah, to share it. But, but, but never with me inside, never with my voice, never with my presence. I want the people to talk, you know. So, yeah, in, th- in the theatering stuff, what happened is that uh, I saw Gomorra, the film, which I think is a masterpiece, but talks about a Naples that I don't know, like that I always heard about, but I don't know that city. But when you travel the world, the most of people, when, they, when you say you're from Naples, they treat you all the time like you're a Gomorrah guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like for them, as a Neapolitan, you are one of them. That's it. You know, they assume that. It's like in London, you've got to be one of these gangsters from the east side, you know? Like, I mean, we don't expect that. Or you are from the, the royal family. I don't know. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. You, like you, a, you fit into a stereotype. Yeah, exactly. So I decided, okay, I want to do something about my hometown that expresses uh, what I know about my hometown, the dignity of the city, the elegance of the city, you know, um, you know, and uh, also the, 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 a lot of people, they think that in Naples, people that are not hard workers, for instance. I mean, all my guys here, I mean, all the theaters and stuff, ah, these guys are so hard work. I mean, like, they, they are so dedicated to, do, to, the, to what they do. Like, uh, I spend so much time in Taylor House in my life in general, like uh, I used to, to have lunch in the Taylor House with Ciro and his uh, uh, master, Ciro Palermo, that passed away three years ago, that uh, he was cooking in a, in a workshop and we were eating on the table, on the working table. It was an incredible experience. And, you know, spending the, the afternoon there and talking and stuff, you know, I was the only one talking because they're working. So they, it's very quiet the situation. I was the one disturbing. You know I mean, like, they're super focused, and they're there. They're, they're working. They're Masters working. They're concentrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. So I wanted to express all this. I want to express another thing that was was important to me. That is very Neapolitan, which is the uh, understanding of elegance from people not educated, but uh, uh, able to understand the cloth and and the style of the person. So. I always give this example, like uh, Vittorio De Sica, which was uh, one of the most elegant men ever uh, lead. Mm. And this guy, I mean, he won, He went to the Oscar Prize, he went to Cannes, he went to Venice with incredible suits. The suits were made by a guy that probably went, uh, went to school, I don't know, five years of his life or something like that, you know, that barely could speak Italian and wasn't even elegant physically, I mean, like a, as a person, you know, as a... This is, I think it's it's magic. This thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like um, you see that guy taking the prize and on the on TV, and you're like, wow. And he's in the history and all these pictures, and he's an incredible, you know, good-looking man and stuff. And you think about that cloth, you know, that, that piece of cloth, and you're like, um, who made this? Yeah. That guy. Wow. <laughs> that understanding is magic to me, and that is, that happens in theater houses, you know. And you, so it, then when you when you sort of started to produce documentaries, it was just natural that you would focus on tailoring. What? Well, these are not the first ones that I did. Ah, this, uh, this is the fourth or fifth, I think, that I did, which is called Omast. Yes. But this was one, the, 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 you know, the most personal one. Because actually, it's so personal that I shot. The, I mean, the first shot of the film, it's actually the camera going out of a window that is actually my uh, house in Naples. Is it's it? actually the window where I grew up where I go every time that I go to Naples. So the, that view that you see of Naples is the view that uh, uh, is in my eyes since when I was, uh, was born. So I wanted to share that thing. You know, like uh, this thing about, it's an introduction to Naples. It's a, it's a different Naples because it's a, it enables from, uh, upstairs, from, from up. You don't see 
it's not the Quartier Espanol, it's not in the street, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, an it's, overview. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Omas then, which is mm. a beautiful film, and I would encourage That's listeners to check it out. You can actually find it on YouTube, I believe. Um, uh, there is a version on YouTube, because uh, recently uh, M2M, which is an American channel, they put the rights to put it on to YouTube. To put it on. Yeah, but it's on iTunes, it's a... Uh, it's in good places. It's in, place. it's go, in good places. Go, yeah. go and seek it out, listeners. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful film, very sort of um, beautifully paced, and and kind of, you can tell it's kind of had the luxury of time lavished over it, where um, Gianluca sort of visits various different, I think primarily Neapolitan tailoring workshops, yeah, and uh, just documents the current generation of great master tailors and their approach and their philosophy, which is a very valuable thing to do actually because. You know, the, these are gentlemen that are at the, the kind of peak of their craft and, and often don't receive a lot, of, a lot of attention, I think. But that is the thing, that when I decided to do Omast, <clears throat> that actually means the master in Neapolitan. Uh, it was because uh, knowing, because I, I came here in, in London the first time when I was seven or something like that, and I, I spent so much time in London, and I knew that the tailors here kind of celebrate themselves. Like, uh, anyway, people talk about Seven Row as the Mecca, okay? There was no Neapolitan back in the days that was celebrating himself. I was like, how come? I don't understand. It's like uh, the work is not, it's not there. It's not like a same level. And actually the work sometimes is even, a, I, I, w- I wouldn't say better level, but I mean, like uh, the hand, you know, the, the what do you call this? The hand stitching and all this stuff. Like, uh, it, technically, they are so good, some of them, that they're even better than probably some of the tailors in Seven Row. I mean, it's bad to say, but I mean, it, it, that's the way it is. And, uh, and they were just kind of uh, insecure about that, you know? Not uh, really humble. They were just like insecure. They were like, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they are several, like, you know. So I decided, okay, you know what? You cannot talk about yourself. I will talk about you. You know, it's okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll share your story. Yeah. And actually, they were, the most of them, they were like kind of uh, suspicious because, uh, I mean, being me, the producer and everything, you know, like, uh, then I could be free to do whatever I wanted, but also I didn't ask any money to anybody. Like, uh, and so they felt like, uh, okay, that's fine. But they were looking at me like, uh, what does he want from us? You know, strange that some guys kind of come in and wants to talk about us for nothing. You know, like, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but that was the point. That was the point. You know, so not a great business, but uh, you know, <laughs> a lovely thing to do. Well, you know, artistically too. You know, I think that uh, it's a good job. You know, because uh, honestly, I think that now there is also. A sartorial tourism in Naples. I mean, Naples had a, an incredible, um, what do you call this? Uh, uh, I mean, it's a blast in the last three years. The tourism, it's, 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 it grew like a, it grew like a, I think, 75%, 90% in the last three years. It's not just because of Omas, for sure, but Omas did a little part of this, you know? We have people, we're receiving people in Naples coming from vacation, and, and they but they want even, yeah, with yeah. the clothes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And they always, I mean, I receive these emails like, uh, I come this day, can we do the fitting this third day when I come back from Positano, from Capri and stuff. So, you know, this is amazing to me. It's beautiful, you know. And you also produced a lovely film about uh, a man that I have a huge amount of respect for, Antonio Liverano. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think it's called The Colors of Antonio. Is that right? That's a beautiful little film. And I didn't realize, I think it came out maybe, what, three, four years ago? One, or maybe four, four years ago. Yeah. When I watched it, I had no idea that it was you who had produced it, but I fell in love with that film then. When I, um, when I got into tailoring at quite a young age, the first Italian tailor that I really connected with was 
Liverano. It was it was just an icon. It was just something that I knew I had to go and visit. And I remember going in. I think at my first ever Pitiomo when I was probably still I was a very junior staffer at the Rake. Maybe I was a staff writer or something at that point. And uh, I had like a couple of hours out in in the schedule, and I went straight to Liverano, and I met Taka, and I was permitted to go into the cloth room, which is this extraordinary vault where um, Mr. Liverano keeps all his cloths, and you can only choose from cloths in that room that have passed yeah. his test, etc. Mm-hmm. What 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 drew you to him as a as a kind of a subject for a documentary? So the stories that um, when I did Omas, I put the trailer on on, a, on internet. And the first, per- the first person that actually got in touch with me was Marcho from the Armory, the yes. founder of the Armory. And well, anyway, he has different business in the in this field. And uh, he asked me to meet in Naples, so I went uh, to the meeting, and the guy asked me to uh, distribute the DVD of a must exclusively through the Armory and all the stuff. So we made the deal. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even understand why I wanted to do this, but he's a visioner. The guy. I mean, super good friend of mine. Mark's now. wonderful. He's an amazing, amazing man, uh, amazing friend too. So we started this, and uh, we started to do like uh, screenings all over the world with the Widow Mass too. The first one was in New York that I organized, and inviting Mark. And from then on, he organized some screening for Omas too, in LA, in uh, San Francisco. I mean, we did Hong Kong, I mean, London with uh, with the guys from Birch. And uh, and then he said, "Why don't we do another documentary? Would be would you be interested in Liverano? Like, uh, what do you think about Liverano?" I was like, "Well, Liverano is amazing. Is he does another kind of theatering? Is another thing." We were not friends at the, back in the days. We, me and Antonio. So I went there. I met the guy, and uh, we get along. And I, I fell in love with his tailoring, with his with the man, with the with the workshop. That is amazing. I think it's one of the most beautiful workshops in the world. Now we are very good friends. He's, uh, for me, I consider him a, 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 my mentor. You know, it's one of these uh, men. I mean, of course, he's older than me, but uh, you know, he's a friend. He's a friend. He's a, he's a what do you call this? Mentor, maybe. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and uh, he's one of the the, the guy that actually made uh, the Florentine tailoring uh, well he, known he, in the world. He built it up, right? Yeah, because I mean, who who knew about Florentine tailoring, honestly. And Florentine tailoring actually has its dignity and, uh, and actually it's very peculiar. And it's beautiful. Not for everyone, but it's beautiful, though. I mean, it's a... And the, 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 the care that he puts in what he does and the sense of colors, and this, that's why the, the, the name of the, the, the title of the film, because he has a sense of color that is unbelievable. Like, he, he's 82, and he does crazy, crazy stuff with his clothing, man. Like, every time that I see him, I'm like, what? You know, like uh, <laughs> I, I shoot him pictures all the time. Like uh, I, one day, I I, I, oh, I went in. He, he had a, a, a suit, tweed suit, heavy, but uh, green, but green. Yeah. I, I shot this picture. He had I don't know how many likes on Instagram and stuff. Because he was, he looked like a I don't know a young guy. I don't know a fifty years old guy. You know, he's the strongest man ever. I mean, I, I'm I've I've traveled with him. We were shot in uh, Hong Kong in a. Uh, Shanghai in uh, Tokyo. I mean, the guy. I saw him. Uh, I mean, he was with me drinking cocktails until three o'clock in the morning at a constellation <laughs> in, in Shanghai. You know, uh, he was uh, on the floor. You know, like uh, packing his bags with the with the fitting cloths. You know, in uh, in Hong Kong. I was like, oh, 
what, what, what are you doing? Just why a pile of house. Yeah, yeah. Because the guy is, is an active man. He's like a, it's just he has, he has to do stuff, you know. Amazing. Now he's traveling. You know, that now he restarted doing trunk shows. Unbelievable, man. Mm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. It's... Um, it's wonderful to hear you sort of talk so passionately about all these craftspeople and, and, and why you've kind of documented them. Um, but I loved uh, a phrase that you've used a couple of times in this interview, which is that you sort of, you operate in different languages or you have different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that idea that, you know, you, you, you speak the language of film, you speak the language of clothes, these are all passions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of frame your love of clothing in your in your life today, you know, is cl- are clothes part of a kind of a wider cultural investigation for you? Of course. I mean, again, c- clothing, dressing is the language. I mean, also Bruce Boyer, another incredible friend and mentor, he said clothing always speaks loud, you know, like a, they, they never shut up. Like uh, you cannot hide when uh, you you you're wearing something and you go around, that thing is already talking for you in a sense. You know there is always like a, what there is always a language in something. Like there is a message. Like uh, now you look at these cars around like uh, they look like tanks. You know like uh, all these dull black, terrible like uh, mean cars. What is the message there? I'm always questioning that. You know like uh, what what is this guy uh, trying to to tell us? You know mm-hmm. to communicate. He wants to kill us. He wants to be the strongest one. What does he want? You know what I mean? In clothing, it's the same. So you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, really help that. Like uh, when, I, when I dress up in the morning, for instance, I, I, I'm not always with a jacket or a suit or all, first of all, because I like any kind of clothing. So I like also like uh, very casual, very hard stuff. You know, like, a, like I like, uh, I come from motorbiking, for instance. I have Harley Davidson from the '89 awesome. since when I was 18. Okay, so I I travel with that bike. I I went to Gibraltar from Milan. So real stuff like a, something like a, not a, just for the show. This is the most important thing. Dressing is not just for the show. You know, you have to to look into yourself and to, and just honestly to say today this is what I what I, what I am what I, what I feel what I what I want to interpret what I want to. To express, you know, I love that. I always say, and it's funny. I, it, it, it's weird, you know. I did a uh, a panel discussion at, at Geeves and Hawks a few weeks ago, and it was um, it was actually about men's fashion in relation to men's mental health, mm. and the amount of guys in the audience who just clearly were not comfortable expressing something with their clothes because men are taught that the suit is a uniform, and you wear navy, and you wear grey, and you only wear a white shirt, and you can only wear a plain navy tie. And uh, I, the amount of time and energy I've devoted in, in everything I've written in the last few years to sort of just get the message across that clothes are a means of personal expression. Absolutely. They are there for you to have fun with. They are there for you to enjoy. Um, it's lovely to hear you sort of say the same thing so, so elegantly. I think, I think, think about it. Ralph Lauren in the 80s. This guy. I mean, for me, it's Messiah. I mean, the, the guy, a lot of people talk bad about this guy. But to me, what he did for menswear, it's astonishing. Yeah. It's like a, he opened the route. Because uh, he, he just told us, like, uh, you, can, you can have fun, man. You can do whatever you want. Crossover, like in music, crossover is the, is the, is the thing. Like, you can wear a suit. You can wear with, a, I don't know, with sneakers maybe. We can wear, you can wear with a, with a T-shirt. You can wear, you know, 
Like he was wearing shorts, like super shorts with a cashmere uh, um, uh, sweater and uh, the, the, the long uh, socks. Yeah. And you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> but uh, it doesn't make sense in a sense, you know? But uh, on him, it looked good, man. It yeah. looked good. Like uh, cowboy boots, big belts, and a tuxedo jacket. Whoa. You know, it's so, so powerful, that thing. You know, it's a statement. So this is it. And some days you want to have statements, you know? Some days you want that. Some days you wake up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to make it. You know, like a bam. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you, today I rock. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's true. Some other days you want to be like a understated, completely like a, you know, you want to hide. You know what I'm saying? You want just a hood. I don't know. You want to be like a quiet, you know? You want natural colors some other days because you want to be relaxed. You want the sneakers or you want the boots, whatever, you know? It depends. Every day we're different. Man. And <laughs> Every day. everything is allowed. Everything, everything is, allowed. is allowed. Everything. All the colors, if you want. Like, a, And this is a Liberano, for instance. Colors. Why? I mean, why? You, you can wear like a blue, a navy suit, chalk stripe. But who told you that you cannot have like a, 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 a very lively shirt? Mm-hmm. You can. Why not? And you look proper. You know? yeah. But you have to master that thing. How do you master this? Not just checking around. You master that thing looking inside. Otherwise, I mean, nothing comes through. Think about the uh, this example, like a dark suit with a, a very lively shirt. What, what what is there? It's like a it's you inside. That's a cover, which is formal. It's fine. It's like a, I'm accepting what I'm doing here, but you have to see who I am. Look at the shirt. Boom, it's yeah. coming out. You know these things. I notice all these things. I love this. You know, this is the language to me. Brilliant. Mm. Um, you, you, you're also a petrol head. You're into your cars, and you've just mentioned yeah. you've got a, a Harley Davidson. Where does that love come from? Since uh, when I was uh, 10, 9. I always liked uh, mo- motorbikes, uh, cars, also some boats. But um, <clears throat> I had the, the, the luck to have like a, a neighbor that was a student in medicine from Greece, and he was passionate about car design. And I was uh, nine, and he told me how to properly design. Properly, I mean, like how to design a car, not as a kid, but as a man, okay? And uh, he introduced me to Giugiaro, you know, the, the, the name, of course, the work of this guy. And he explained me why he thought that he was a big guy and he was good in what he was doing and all this stuff. So my passion was like, wow. So I was designing everyday cars. Then, because uh, in the family, <clears throat> I have my sister that's very close to my, my age. And she was designing stupid stuff, but she was always challenging my, my, my pictures. And she was always asking, so which one is the best? Which one is the best? And they were, you know, just to protect her, they were always saying, like, yours is a very nice, very nice. So I quit. <laughs> I decided, okay, I'm not going to, I don't want to draw any car anymore. But this passion is still there. Like, I wanted to be a car designer when I was a kid. Now I would never want to be a car designer because I, Car designers now are engineers, like uh, they're very complicated people. And uh, maybe you're as a car designer, maybe you will design just the uh, I don't know the mirror of the car, you know, or the, uh, one lamp. You have a huge team of people. Back in the days, you had these guys that were not trained as engineer. They were coming from art school. Incredible. And just drew, literally just sketching yeah. a dream. Yeah, at Pininfarina, you had this guy. You mm. had uh, I don't know uh, Brovarone, for instance, Brovarone. Or Gandini, or people like this. 
they were like just drawing stuff that they were seeing in their eyes. Not even drivers. They were not drivers. They were just dreamers. You know, <laughs> incredible. Like if you see this documentary I did, that is driving dreams. What they tell you, it's incredible because they, they they just tell you. I just wanted to make like a something beautiful that expresses like a uh, speed that expresses coolness. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, and it's that so simple. So if you ask the U.S. Bravarone, he decided uh, he's the designer of uh, the Ferrari Dino. Have you ever driven a Ferrari? No, me, no. Forget it. <laughs> Have you ever had one of this? It's like, no, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> and he designed also the Dinone, the, the big Dino, three seats, the, the central, um, what do you call it, uh, steering for uh, Giovanni Agnelli, one off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, I mean, he made incredible, he, he made, I don't know, many cars for Giovanni Agnelli. So, I mean, you, the cars can be, you know, a language too, you know. Nowadays, it's a very different thing. It's not, a, it's not anymore like a status like it was. It's a, it's a different thing. We, we have a perception of cars that obviously it's more like a tool, all right? And, and uh, it's a good thing because I, honestly, we, now we are more concerned about, you know, the pollution or all the stuff, you know, the impacts that we have on the, on the planet with this. But still, you know, those, those cars, those, the, that period, I mean, especially the documentary, I'm fo- I mean, I focus on uh, uh, the golden age of... Um, of a car design in Italy. It was a 70s, 60s, 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. That's yeah, it. <laughs> that's just a, that's n- the most, nudging but, the 80s. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, nudging, nudging. Right. But I mean, they made like crazy stuff. They made stuff that are, were, was, wasn't even practical, you know, like, a, like a, the Lamborghini Miura. Oh, legendary. But that car, I mean, to drive, it's a nightmare. In fact, Lamborghini never raced anything. They never won anything. They never really raced. They were made to be cool. That's it. Yeah. You know, and uh, honestly, they succeeded. Honestly. The original dream machine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Gianluca, it's been such a pleasure to listen to you sort of um, extol the virtues of some of your passions. So thank you. But as we start to wrap up a little bit, I would like to to, um, get uh, get some more thoughts for you on kind of the state of, of menswear at the moment. Obviously, you're immersed in kind of Italian menswear culture and you have a brand and... Uh, you're clearly very passionate. Um, uh, something I'm asking a lot of our guests is, what are you seeing in, in menswear today that you admire? And uh, conversely, are there any challenges or problems in menswear at the moment? What are you seeing that you like and, and, and perhaps an, uh, somewhat concerned by? <laughs> That's difficult, because honestly... Is that a whole nother podcast? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's very difficult, because uh, my, my uh, references are not really contemporary. Because what I'm seeing is that uh, <clears throat> quality-wise, there is not, not much attention. It's a, it's a real business. It's, it's so focused on business. It's so focused on, on, a, on a, you know, the, the, oh, the margins. And uh, quality cannot be just focused on margins, you know. So, you know. Uh, so honestly, I, I look around and I don't see that many interesting stuff. Well, actually, so I see something that it's very, I mean, it's not scary, but it's just uh, annoying when you see big brands, like, uh, maybe you can cut this, but uh, like Dolce Gabbana, that, that actually gives a bespoke service. Come on, I mean, this is like, a, not even, you know, they try to touch anything because they saw that this big niche became like more important. People, I mean, men were <clears throat> more attracted to this, this word. So even then, they had, they have to give the service. But, I mean, what is that? I mean, stay in your field, do your thing. You know, do your funny stuff, you know, crazy, whatever. But, I mean, you know, leave us alone. 
So I don't see, honestly, I see all these brands, like, uh, not brands, all these groups that are buying big brands, like uh, Caring, that bought Brioni, uh, Berluti, and they're actually not doing a great job. They're actually not destroying, but I mean... What, what's the solution, do you think? <clears throat> honestly? Mm. They bought already. Just hire the right people. Just hire the right guys. You don't need to hire the big name or, or to have like something just for the magazines, you know, just for the show. You need to hire a technical, I mean, someone that uh, knows what he's doing. Forgive me for interrupting Gianluca's thoughts to titillate your taste buds for the future, dear listeners. But I do think that Gianluca is expressing something that lots of people with an interest in menswear feel today. How are so many big designer brands losing their way and producing product that somehow just doesn't feel worth the premium? It's a big question and one that I need to spend some time thinking about. Here at Handcut Radio, we'd love to hear from any creatives in big designer brands who feel they're in a position to counterpoint Gianluca's opinion. All I can say on the matter is this. If I know that I can get a pair of lovingly hand-finished bespoke trousers for less than a designer pair that have been mass-produced in an industrial factory, I know where I'd rather spend my money. Whatever one's opinion, this disjunct between designer brands' prices and clothing quality is a thorny issue that will hopefully take on more as the podcast continues to grow. It's also important for me to say that there are some international designers that I really don't feel this way about. Brunello Cuccinelli, for example, makes absolutely exquisite stuff that I really do admire and is refreshingly straightforward in its championing of Italian craftspeople and genuinely interesting high-end clothing technology. But certainly, there aren't many big fashion brands out there like that at the moment. Not in my view, anyhow. And also, there is one thing that I, I'm pretty sure about: that in menswear, everyone is trying to make a, to refresh the tailoring word and all the stuff. You cannot refresh the tailoring word, the classic word, in uh, doing crazy stuff. The only way you can refresh it is with knowledge, which means, you know, using references, playing with those, playing with the cloth, mixing the cloth and these references. Exactly what Ralph Lauren did in the 80s. Because, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of proportion and uh, style. Like, a, you got a, a beautiful jacket today. Okay, this is a vintage jacket. This is about knowledge, man. You understood this jacket. This jacket is peculiar because it's peculiar. But then, now you're using it, you're accustomed with that. Maybe, eventually, you find a cloth, touching a cloth, you will say, oh, wow. I should do the same jacket in this cloth. Why? Because this work. This work. That's it. It just works. This is contemporary. And that's, that's what they don't understand. They're standardizing everything. They're trying to make everything like flashy for a certain market. But at the end of the day, they're not succeeding. So I'm right. They're wrong. Not because I'm... <laughs> yeah, because I, think about it. I mean, they, they take Brioni and they think it's too old. And they were doing, I don't know, 80 minions, uh, I don't know, whatever. And then suddenly they become like a, a, a 35 million uh, company. How come? Even though they picked the, the you know, flamboyant guy. Because maybe there is a market you have to, you know, um, what do you call this? Cater uh, to. Yeah. But also you have to keep your, you know, your DNA in a sense, you know. 
So I, th- I think that uh, it's not that difficult, honestly. Well, I think something that's very exciting about uh, Pomella is mm. you have a very clear DNA, and it clearly comes from a very passionate place. Um, mm. I've absolutely loved this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, Likewise. Thank you. A, cu- a couple more questions then as we wrap up. Yeah. Who else should we be interviewing on Handcut Radio? Who, who else is out there that you think it would be good for us to talk to? Agyesh Madan from Stoffa. Great. Great friend, great man, great knowledge, great style. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let me think, let me think. Mm, well, Mark Cho. Uh, naturally. Of naturally. course. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, Ethan. Yeah. Ethan Amos Newton. Fantastic. You've, you've, you've given the, me the three names that are... Uh, I hope you're listening to this, fellas. You're all at the top of the list for season two. <laughs> they're, all, mean, they're all up they're there. They're all like... A, pff, wow. Ethan is doing an incredible job with Priceland. It incredible. is awesome. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I've yet to experience it or, or meet Ethan, but I do look at it from afar and think, my God, that is just so cool. Ethan, um, Ethan is a very interesting guy. Very good friend. Love the guy. If you if you will ever listen to this, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and I respect his taste, his uh, vision. Conversation is really interesting. It's very into music, you know. I mean, Mark is a complex man. A lot of interests, a lot of uh, knowledge, creative. Ah, fantastic. I mean, the, the three of them, they are amazing. Amazing. So, Brilliant. yeah, I think three names, I mean, this is... We're going to go away and and have those chats, and I hope uh, listeners will um, uh, look those guys up too if they don't already know who they are. Um, Final question then, what's coming next for you? What's on the horizon? What are you excited about? Well, we're doing two things. One, with Pomela, we we are launching the the second line, which is like a... uh, The the name is PML, which is more... It's a little less rooted, regional rooted, let's say. Pomela Napoli is in the name, okay? And it's the bespoke stuff. PML, it's a, it's a little more casual, but also we will we'll do the standards, you know, like a great trousers and stuff like that. But uh, a little uh, everyday use, and uh, probably we will add some other stuff, like uh, not just trousers, okay? This is the project. On the film side, we're working on a big project on menswear with Bruce Boyer, so, yeah, I'm going to go next week to the States and, uh, uh, you know. There'll be more, more news to come. We'll talk, yeah, we'll talk with some production house and stuff and we'll see. We'll see, yeah. These are the two projects that I like now. Oh, well, I can't wait to see uh, both materialize. Very <laughs> exciting. Uh, a great way to end, uh, end this season, tease, tease some of your new projects. Um, Gianluca, thanks so much for taking some time out and for chatting. It's been a pleasure to meet you. My pleasure. Um, Big pleasure. Thank you very much. So it was nice also uh, to be able to express because it's not easy. Sometimes when you uh, when you get interviewed, the 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 questions are a little like a commercial, let's say, you know. This your interview is really, you know, on the thing, you oh, know, good. like a very deep, very deep. <laughs> and I, I thank you. I thank you. No, it's a it's a chance to, you know, speak out what do you think? You know, well, saying, I'm, so, yeah. I'm very grateful for that because that's what we're trying to do with this podcast. So I'm, I'm very relieved you enjoyed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, there we are. Another episode done and dusted. We hope you enjoyed. It also saddens me to say that this is the last episode in our first series. What an adventure it's been. 
To be completely honest with you, I was utterly terrified to put this out there seven weeks ago, but your support, your encouragement and the constant feedback we've had from listeners has been extraordinary. Thank you so, so much. I'm also thrilled to tell you that we are steaming headlong into season two. We're working on it now and hope to be able to share it with you in the next couple of months. Please do follow us on Instagram between now and then at Handcut Radio and get in touch with me if you have any questions via email on alex at handcutradio.com. Any requests for people you want us to reach out to and any thoughts on how we can, can keep improving season two, please do hit us up. Finally, I'm going to ask you one more time to please rate and review the podcast. It really does make a difference. It helps other people to discover it and helps us get the word out there. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Birch, a London and New York-based creative agency. Check out their work at thinkbirch.com. Our theme music is by Joe Boyd. Hear more from him at This Is Joe Boyd. And finally, all that remains is for me to say thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to bringing you another 10 stories from the world of menswear in the autumn.